Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two guys talk about comic books. Not only guys, but brothers. I'm one of those two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother. My name is Kevin Hines. And uh, this is an episode of Mutants and Mailbag. This is where we talk about the early Chris Claremont issues of X-Men and also catch up in our email. Right, Kevin? Yeah, that's right, Will. Um We've been chastised by ourselves and by some friends, including Chris Gathered amongst uh, others, that we have not read uh, a comic that we ourselves proclaim has the most important run in Marvel Comics. Yeah, even uh, before Chris we Claremont read it, we run. knew that it was one of the most important runs, and we never read it because we're dumb, and now we are reading it. And so We're not we are, so dumb that we didn't know it was important. We knew we were just, dumb. Yeah, we just were like we willfully ignorant, maybe? If you call yourself dumb, it's okay to keep being dumb. That's one yeah. of our life philosophies. Like, it's okay to be incompetent at something as long as you constantly tell everybody that you know you're incompetent, even when yeah. they're not interested in you. Yeah, we stop people on the street often and say, I've never read X-Men. They're like, you idiot. No matter who we do it, they're like, you know. Yeah. I stopped this, this group of construction workers uh, over on Hillhurst Ave here in Los Angeles where I live. And I was like, hey, I've never read X-Men. They went, even the Claremont stuff? I went, nope. They're like, you yeah. idiot. <laughs> I grabbed a stranger on the street the other day and said, hey, I've never read X-Men. He's like, oh, I liked my character designs. It was Dave Cockrum. Oh, wow. What real embarrassing. Yeah. Jeez. He slapped me pretty hard. Um, he deserved to. He was right to. I didn't get mad at him. Yeah. He's dead, right? So this was a dead man who did this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of dead people where I am. So, um, well, we won't unpack that. Uh uh, I've been listening to episodes uh, of other podcasts, and um, boy, sure. ours is a mess. And um, we're mm-hmm. not going to fix that today. Uh, but we are going to go over issues, what is it, 109 through 113 of the Uncanny X-Men? Yeah, something like that. Who knows? Who knows, yeah. And, yeah, so uh, 109 through 113. And what's interesting in terms of just X-Men development is now John Byrne has become the artist replacing Dave Cockrum. And uh, this begins like a... I mean, the whole Chris Claremont run of X-Men, which is from 1975 to 1990-ish, is yeah. like legendary. But um, this particular run that we are beginning is constantly lauded as like extra special, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would say from the from from giant size X-Men up until like Jean Grey's resurrection, that's the golden age, the real true golden age of the X-Men. That's mm-hmm. the best stuff. And Claremont was on for a long time after that, and I'm sure there's good stuff. But like, yeah, that's when they like that's when they had a third title, maybe a fourth title. Excalibur already existed. That's when they had a fourth title. The line starts getting thinner and thinner. Uh, there's more spinoffs during that time. That's when Wolverine went from just like this, you know, one-off character in a Hulk comic to becoming one of the most popular characters in Marvel history. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's just sort of my take on it. I would guess that's where sort of the peak is. Like you've had a few crossovers under the belt. They're 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 huge sellers. They're big deals. But now they're starting to weigh on the line. Probably uh, you've had Inferno and Mutant Massacre and uh, Fall of the Mutants by that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get through those, it's a little much. But definitely this Burn stuff, even more than the Cockrum stuff, I think is where. Uh, fans were just flocking to the title because during the five issues we're going to cover today, the book goes from bi-monthly to monthly. Now that they don't have Cockrum is a little slower. They have John Byrne is a little faster. Uh, it's popular enough. They're just like this book that was almost, that was Temple. just a reprint was a reprint yeah. mag for a while. They're like, let's go to monthly, all new stories. This is, this is a hit. This is a bona fide hit. Mm-hmm. Jim shooters come on to be editor in chief and, He's been he's given like money, basically. It's like, oh yeah, and by the way, you also get X-Men at its peak. Yeah. Um, he's like a guy who takes over for a baseball team, and they're like, Oh, by the way, Pedro Martinez is also your new pitcher. That's right, right. Right. Uh, do you mind playing Mike Trout in the outfield? And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, I'll play, I'll play the best baseball player ever in my outfield. Great, great, great. We play him every other day. <laughs> I'm gonna play him every game. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna get into that, and then we'll also catch up with our emails. So um, we've got yeah. so many emails. Well, it's it's bonkers. Are we popular? That's weird. So I guess people for their podcast they like it when you are disorganized. They like it when mm-hmm. you're not prepared. Yeah, 
Um, you think that's what it is? Yeah, we, I don't know we, what. I don't, we I don't know what to, it is. We forgot to say, we're also kind of, sort of, sometimes, partially yeah. Indians. Yeah. If you squint your eyes and you're looking in a mirror at us, <laughs> you might mistake us for comedians. In a room full of boring people, we ain't yeah. so bad. Yeah. Or also, we fit right in. Both those <laughs> things can be true. <laughs> we're like, like those, a, guys, those guys look at home. We're like moths. Of the boring folk. We blend right in with the boring bark, but uh, we got a little extra going on, right? That's that right, metaphor that's right. is not quite clear. All right, so let's get into it, Kevin. Issue 109. So where we are in the story is um, the X-Men have just finished this kind of like huge battle in outer space, which wrapped up, you know, which had been sort of been being foreshadowed for quite some time. And it ended with a big cosmic battle where they allied with the Star Jammers against the Shiara. Um, and now they're coming back home. You did you have this issue that we're about to read this issue one oh nine? Um I feel like I maybe did. The cover is very familiar, but also the content was kind of familiar to me. I feel like well, I've read I read issue one oh nine before. Issue I don't think I've I don't think I've read the other four issues before. Issue one oh nine features a character who at this point is called Weapon Alpha. James Hudson, who becomes the leader of the Canadian supergroup Alpha Flight. John Byrne, the artist, is Canadian. He's really down with Canadian stuff. Like every Canadian person I meet, they can't mm -hmm. stop wearing the maple leaf. They bring yeah. up hockey every couple of sentences. They talk about Algonquin State Park and they want to canoe everywhere. John you're Byrne trying to become different. a you're trying to become a Canadian citizen too. I right? am. I am. I am. Yeah, I have applied for Canadian citizen because our mom was born in Canada. So I'm like, we are. I I believe we are Canadian citizens and i'm trying to document that um i sent in my application january 10th haven't heard anything um once you're in you're gonna start talking about canada all the time oh you know yeah sure yeah i'll be <laughs> in there all the time yeah you know up in, oh yeah going up to uh thunder bay uh on the good side of lake michigan there <laughs> um i'm not sure if that's those specifics are right but um yeah anyway i was a, i love that might be more flight. of a fargo accent too yeah, i don't know look the voice work is also semi-partially good <laughs> i.e. not really good. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a yeah. day player on Fargo, you see. Oh, yeah. You know, day player on Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a murder. Yeah. You're not You're not supposed to speak, Will. Uh, you're, huh? just, <laughs> you're supposed to just featured grab your tray. You say featured background? Okay. That's right. Grab your tray and sit. Oh, you're solving a murder, are ya? Right. Look at uh, you all quirky. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I'm a big fan of Alpha Flight, and so I would kind of dig into the back issues for the alpha flight characters. Some of the, you know, uh, like right here is weapon alpha, the debut of who becomes the leader of alpha flight later. He becomes known as the vindicator, but right here is weapon alpha, which also <laughs> this issue, like is the beginning of a creation that the Canadian government <laughs> has yeah. the huge budget, you know, for like creating superheroes yeah, yeah, and like just a secret service, you know, black ops arm, that just seems overblown for whatever Canada has to deal with, right? I mean, as far as we know, America, I mean, they have S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess, but they're not making superheroes. But the Canadian government made Wolverine. They're making uh -huh. Alpha Flight. Like, they yeah. are way overachieving for, like, their superhero production. Also, like, Wolverine, who's Weapon X, which became sort of a thing of, like, oh, they're experimenting on mutants. At this point... Uh, this guy's weapon alpha. It's more just like, oh, we just give any any character a weapon, you know, Greek letter. Or I guess it implies name. that there's X is X is he should be weapon chai. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> or maybe the Greek letter. Maybe they have Y and Z, and now they've gone into the Greek letters. Okay, they used up the yeah yeah yeah. So like, there's an A through Z out there, and now they're we're on to alpha. It makes sense because weapon alpha is pretty powerful. Yeah. I love the design of Weapon Alpha. This is the Alpha Flight leader with like half, uh, you know, half of the Canadian maple leaf is like wrapped around his torso. I think it like yeah. looks great. Like, looks great. I mean, that's what I was saying. I think last time we talked about the X-Men is going from Cockrum to John Byrne as far as character design. That's no, that's no slouch. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so that's like, like that's like a half a tick down to John Byrne character design. Yeah, and it's only because uh, Cockrum is so, so good that we would even right. gain to put burn anything negative. Alpha Flight, so the whole idea of like a Canadian supergroup is like hilarious and weird, but Alpha Flight looked great. Like those first 12 issues of Alpha Flight, really the first like 24, 
I adored them. I also think that first issue sold uh, really, 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 really well. I think I've read stories like because this uh, th- at this point, they, I don't think they've kicked in the commission uh, uh, program yet, where if your comic sold a ton, you made more money as creators, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. encouraging creators, the hot creators to want the hot books. But also it's like if you make your book sell better, if you're you'll, so good. Yeah, you'll get rewarded. You Yeah, you should get some of that reward. So like burn uh, – made a lot of money off of Alpha Flight issue one, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know if, how much of that's true. Again, uh, zero research, uh, kind of comedian, non-expert, bad podcast. Yeah. Uh, this issue's fun. <laughs> this issue's fun, and I want to say the whole, this little run we're about to go over, 109 through 113, it both feels like a little bit of a dip from where we were. The stakes are a little lower. It feels a little more slapdash and a little more just like villain of the month kind of thing. But like, yeah, I also agree with what you say. The moment-to-moment action is really fun and like caffeinated. And Claremont and Byrne to me feel like kids who are playing unsupervised. Like in a nice way, they feel like they're kind of doing whatever they want. See, for me, I found these issues, well, four of the five issues, the ones that John Byrne did, to be my favorite of the run so far. Interesting. Like they're more. not. They're definitely not as big as the uh, Gal- uh, Imperial, whatever Imperial Army, Arm, whatever they were called. Imperial Guard. Imperial Guard, yeah, and Star Jammers. That's not as big as that for sure. You know, they're not fighting F- Fire Lord, but like the character moments hit a little better. Uh, the 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 even the silly issues feel more in tone with what uh, has been established by this point. Mm-hmm. Like I, I start, it starts feeling like. What I think of as the X-Men, somebody who doesn't really know the X-Men, yeah. this feels like what I would expect from an X-Men comic between big stories. And I like okay. between big stories almost more than the big stories generally. Uh, sometimes big stories are good, but like if you don't have these stories to build up to it, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I really enjoyed this issue, even though it's I mostly guess- just the, the X-Men go on a picnic and get attacked by Weapon, Weapon Alpha. Alpha. Right. Uh, and the, then the it's pl- like... a. And then we do a Magneto story later on that I think is maybe my favorite uh, fight they've had. That's interesting because, okay, yeah, I I like your opinion better than mine. I mean, I really did enjoy these issues. I am loving the X-Men and I'm so happy that we're doing it. Um, But the plot of Weapon Alpha is a little bit similar to the Magneto one. And we also have seen this before. A villain shows up and tries to attack either one of the X-Men or tries to attack them all one-on-one. But when they team up, they overwhelm him. And, like, the lesson is sort of like when you fight as a team, you're stronger than when you try to fight individually. Um, So that is what happens here in Weapon Alpha. Weapon Alpha shows up to bring Wolverine back to the super powerful Canadian government uh, superhero arm. And he does all right against just Wolverine. But when the other X-Men team up, Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler, they and Phoenix, Cyclops, he heads for the hills because they overwhelm him. I want to mention a few things in this first issue. I won't go as granular in the other one. One, uh, my house has recently had water damage on two different occasions. Okay. Uh, Will's aware of this. Storm creates a rainstorm to water her plants on the attic floor. Yeah. There's going to be mold. They're going to need to get fans (laughs) in there. And it, it was traumatic to read that last night knowing what my house is going through. Storm is irresponsible. That's my point there. Um, but uh, the other thing is there's a, uh, I like how Wolverine doesn't, the hunting thing with Wolverine. Yeah. I thought it was really fun. He talks about going hunting and Storm is aghast. Yes. Wolverine claims, well, I hunt, I don't kill. I stalk the deer. I walk up and I just touch them. It's the challenge is all he cares about. Killing's easy. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a That's fun really little superhero fun, moment. Really fun character moment. There, there uh, is a bunch of character moments, like you say before. Like the the battle, the is really just the back half of the issue. We yeah. spend half the issue just them settling in to the back home to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters and sort of checking in with each of them. We see Nightcrawler getting ready for a date, and we see that even though he does not look human, um, he is like calm and 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 he's a he's a ladies man he's ready he's ready to get on the dating scene 
Yeah, he sort of uh, chides Scott for being so morose all the time. He's like, I think I've had it worse than you. And look, I'm okay. Yeah, that's true. That, that was kind of a fun moment. Um, Scott's like being sad because Jean Grey, now Phoenix, is sort of not hanging around with him. And Nightcrawl's like, what's the, what's the, what's the bummer? And he's like, yeah, I'm feeling bad. You know, these damn eyes of mine. And, and Nightcrawler's kind of like, yeah. You know what? Uh, when it comes to complaining about how your mutant power makes you not fit in, I think me with my hooves and my yeah. tail, my, my <laughs> little, little demon, my demon appearance. I look like a Satan. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've I, I've had it work, but actually, he's he's not angry at Scott. I guess is the point. He's like, hey, I'm right. just making a point. I'm with you. You know, and um, yeah. He's, he's Night, also Night, like, Nightcrawler's a very positive presence. It's sort of fun. He's so great. He's so great. Uh, one other thing I want to point out, Byrne is a big, um, like many artists, Kirby fan. And he does a thing when Colossus changes. He does these things that Tom Brevroot talks about uh, on the Fantastic Four comics, these triptychs, where it's like three panels for the transformation. Like yeah. uh, the thing is the thing, then he's transforming, and then he's Ben Grimm again or what have you. Yeah. Uh, and he does that with Colossus, like, but it's the duration of a swing so like uh peter his fist back back, and then the middle of the swing he's transforming kirby crackle form and then in the when the connection he's full metal and it looks real good (laughs) it looks great it's really cool it's a cool idea and it just shows that like it it's one of those things i think that elevates john byrne over other quality artists it's what elevates all the great artists right it's like he thinks out not just he doesn't just draw good. He thinks that what makes a great page, what creates great action. panel sequences. And he, like when he's drawing the action, what will make the action interesting? Because some of this is probably Marvel method where Claremont's like, go wild with this fight in the woods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and some of the, and I don't know how much, I don't know how little. Uh, uh, and the good artists, Ditko, Kirby, Byrne, uh, uh, Frank Miller, you know, the, the elites, Walt Simonson, they know how yeah. to like make fights Interesting, because fights are sort of boring otherwise. Yeah, I know. I can. I'll often gloss over a fight if it's just a bunch of fists being thrown. Just like uh, reading so many Spider-Man comics in my time, it's like so many of those fights are just they're on rooftops punching each other, and they don't mean anything. When I, but when I think of Ditko fights, they're never just on rooftops fighting, and it's a huge difference. And Burns great about that. Anyway, this issue is really fun. I, just I, have, say it's I, I have an observation. <clears throat> um, Colossus says Lenin's ghost a lot. Is that anything <laughs> that people in Russia say? Uh, like, is it, or is it just, is this someone a weird shout out to great Caesar's ghost, <laughs> you know, from, from the <laughs> Superman universe? Or just like, is it a comic book thing to refer to the ghost of your superhero? To be a superhero, you need to have an exclamation. That's why for Spider-Man sometimes for a while in like the 70s would go wallop and web snapper or something. <laughs> it's like, that's not a natural thing to say for like great Krypton. Okay, you're from Krypton. I sort of get it. It's like you invented web shooters uh, a year ago. Yeah. And Ever since we started this podcast, when I get into trouble, I go, suffering siblings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing to do no matter what. Uh, Great Hera. Uh, every superhero has their things. Blue Blazes was like Nova. Uh, uh, yeah, they all have their weird things they exclaim, and it it's isn't, silly. Um, isn't an Anchorman Will Ferrell's character at some point goes by the beard of Odin or something I'm like sure, that? I'm sure he does. He'd be a great superhero. He'd fit right in. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Lennon's ghost is a very bizarre thing. I don't. Also, I love. I, um, there's one point where Scott is. Uh, Jean Grey's parents are visiting and she has to explain to them that she's Phoenix now, which I yeah. don't know how that is materially different than being just telekinetic Marvel girl to yeah. the parents, but they are somehow disturbed to see how much more powerful she is. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's sort of like being like, I was a sculptor. Now I run a sculptor gallery and the parents are like, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Scott is like spying on her, explaining to her parents. Like we don't see the conversation Jean Grey has with the parents. We just see Scott watching through one of the bay windows. And the way she explains it to them is by bursting into Phoenix flame yeah, to yeah, like yeah. show them. And they're like visibly shocked. That looks funny to me too. It is funny. Uh, I do like that this issue sort of, is it this issue? Yeah, this issue, I think Jean Grey says, like, I'm going to stay with the X-Men. Uh, or maybe it's the next issue. Like, she hasn't been a member. She ha- she quit when uh, the new X-Men showed up. And then she's just been here for most of the issues. 
Uh, and now she's saying, I'm back on the X-Men. So that's nice that that's officially that, like, I don't know, I, that makes me happy that that T got uh, uh, slashed and the I got dotted in, in Jean Grey's membership. Yeah, uh, I think it's because uh, Weapon Alpha overwhelms her quickly and she's like, oh, I still have stuff to learn about my powers. It'll be useful to be here, kind of. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next issue. The Epic also has all these Marvel team-up stories that the X-Men show up and I did not read those well. I didn't either, but I'll read them for next time and we won't talk about them, but I, I'll get to them. Yeah, I just did not have time. Um, Maybe in 20 years, some friend will say, you really screwed up by missing the Marvel team-ups and it'll make us do it. A couple of them get referenced and I'm just like, okay, I know I've missed something, but, uh, you know. This next issue is uh, real crazy. Which Is that the one where they're in the danger room? I'm flipping, looking for it. No, it's the circus one. Oh, yeah, that is crazy. I loved it. So the next one kind of starts in the middle of an adventure that we did not, we don't see the beginning of, which is Beast is at a circus and the circus's acts are all the X-Men. Uh, no, well, you're wrong. Issue 110 is the next one. It is the one with the danger room attacking them. Oh, it is? Yeah. You went to the next volume of Epic? Yeah. There's one more issue in uh, the Epic collection, 110, which is my starts bad. with a baseball game. Okay, my bad. Uh, this one I think is, we should, I don't think this one's that interesting. Uh, they're playing baseball, which is fun and sort of, I guess, is like a staple of the X-Men. You hear it mentioned a lot. Um, but like some guy. Uh, oh, yeah, right, right. Warhawk. Breaks in, Warhawk breaks into the mansion, takes over the danger room and tries to kill them all. And the X-Men win, basically. Yeah. Um, it's a, several times now we've seen the danger room turned on the new X-Men. It's like the yeah. holodeck of Star Trek. They just, you just kind of you just kind of throw an episode in there when you need to like get something done. Yeah, it's not. I don't think this issue is sort of as a uh, for me. This issue is a lame duck. I know baseball is like a cool thing. <laughs> this is where, this is where I get, I get. I'm like, well, are they allowed to use their powers or not? Is always what I think when I'm watching this. Right, like, like Colossus, uh, Phoenix catches a ball with her telekinesis. Yeah, but Colossus uh, hit it without his steel uh, armor. I know, I know. That seems like not fair. Anyway. But yeah, uh, there's not much to say about that issue. Yeah, I mean, are you allowed to use your mind reading powers to see what pitch is being thrown? I think so. If if Phoenix is doing that, I think uh, anything's allowed, right? Once also, one person uses their powers, you can teleport to first base and tag. Also, there's house rules, right? You have to tag. That's so funny to me. Like she uses so Colossus in human form hits a fly ball. Uh, Phoenix uses her telekinesis to catch it. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, it was going to break a windshield, she or last on, time on an airplane, she claimed. Even though he hit it without his powers enacted, which means he should be in the major leagues. He should be. And then, um, but she catches it. But house rule says you still have to tag. So they might like baseball, but they're they're in some new new weird mutant form of baseball. This is the Homo Superior rules. Also, Wolverine's claws go through his baseball mitt. <laughs> I don't know how that helps you tag at all. I don't. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So that issue is like it's also not done by Byrne. Uh, yeah. It's like a guest artist or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it's well enough drawn. It's it's just sort of a, a fine issue. It's not nearly as fun as this circus issue Will was talking about, which is issue one eleven. The cover is which I've seen this cover before. I've not read this issue. But the cover is uh, Banshee as a circus barker. At first, I thought it was Arcade. Uh, uh, but it's Banshee, and he's pointing to all the posters of the other X-Men like they're freaks at a circus. This, this seems like a late Fantastic Four Kirby issue to me. Like I feel like I could easily see Kirby just throwing all the FF in a circus for fun. Yeah, but with, with, the, with the Claremont having built on that and having read those things, and with Byrne, they're able to make it sort of just feel less... Silly or like Less more earned. Yeah. Like it's like, oh yeah, I see how this all happened versus sort of like, I don't know. It's like, uh, who cares why they're at a circus? They all work. They all decided to start working at a circus. <laughs> like it feels like this is clearly a silly idea, but done as real as you could. And so what happens is Beast of the old X-Men has discovered yeah. them in a circus. And then through flashback, we see that he went to the X-Men's mansion to talked to them, found it abandoned, and used, like, his beast mind smarts to yeah. track them down to the circus. Uh, beast is really fun in this comic. He's very funny. Yes. Uh, though he's also not the best detective. He sees these posters of the new X-Men, who most of whom he hasn't met, I get. He's like, ah, I wonder if these are the same X-Men. Yeah. Uh, but it's Leather like... Leather Woman, uh, Canadian, yeah. the Yukon Hunter. 
He's like, they all sound similar to those X-Men I've seen before, but I don't know for sure. Also, two of them I was on a team with, and they look identical. That's maybe a coincidence. Maybe it's a bunch of lookalikes he thinks to himself at one point. I'm like, no, dude. No, dude. This yeah, is no, it. This is your, these are your friends. Get it together. Um, but yeah, they they were hypnotized by a guy named Mesmero, who I read in an old uh, Roger Stern, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Very lame villain. Yeah. Basically, or maybe the most powerful villain at all in the Marvel Universe because he hypnotizes people. Right. Hypnotism, um, magnetism, radiation. These are like blank checks in the Marvel Universe that are as powerful as you need for the story. But this is fun in an alternate reality sort of sense, too, because, like, Jean Grey is a smoking... Uh, they're all talking, like, with a New York accent, kind of. Yeah. Like, they're all like, I got to have dinner with the boss, see? Yeah, she's smoking. She dates the boss, who I guess is Mesmero. Yeah. Uh, and her bodyguard is Slim Summers. So that, uh, uh, which was funny. Scott Summers' name in, in X-Men issue one was Slim. Was his name Slim? His name was Slim, and then they kind of, like just never referred to that again and started calling him Scott in like oh, interesting. issue two or something like that. So I, I mean, think he, it's like, it's an inside joke to call, to call him Slim Summers. It's like a, it's like calling yeah. Peter Parker, Peter Palmer. It's definitely a thing he gets called pretty frequently now, but he's certainly not slim anymore. He is jacked. He's a, yeah, he's Jack Kirby bouncer body style. Um, but I'm just showing you that I'm doing my research, Kevin. Good. Good for you. Um, See, I'm not always dumb. No, uh, the beast gets captured, but, but Wolverine, it's enough. Uh, the, the chaos was enough that knock Wolverine to his senses and Wolverine sort of breaks his chains and goes to free Phoenix. Gray, Smart yeah. choice. Let's free the most powerful person uh, in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. If not her, then storm would be who you'd go to first. Like get the most powerful get ones. the big guns out. Yeah. Yeah. And he just slaps Jean Grey around. Not me. So. I go right for Cypher. <laughs> hey, that guy's good. <laughs> I love Cypher. I'm a big Cypher fan. I think you're making a smart choice. Uh, he slaps Jean Grey around. She goes full Phoenix and almost almost kills Wolverine, I would say. She blasts him pretty hard. Funny little uh, joke here. Right before Wolverine gets free and Beast gets, like, knocked down by Colossus, who's under mind control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beast's joke is, anyone get the number of that Uru hammer? That's a very good Marvel, Marvel Universe <laughs> joke to make when you get knocked down. Yeah, especially if you're a member of the Avengers. He, he knows what he's talking about with Uru hammers. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, yeah Beast, is, almost... Beast is funny throughout this. Even when he sees Mesmero, uh, like uh, uh, later on, I forget when I flip, I'm flipping through it. He says some funny stuff in those situations. Um, yeah. I don't know. He, I, I just really enjoy Beast throughout this. He's very lighthearted. It's funny. The less human you like appear, kind of the more uh, everyday guy you are it seems like beast is like put up your dukes hey i'm only gonna hit you once or thrice like you're the the more the more like kind of uh inhuman you look the the more jovial you are it seems yeah like i want to hang out with beast and nightcrawler i don't want to hang out with gloomy scott summers or gene gray you know yeah or wolverine uh colossus you can hang out with a little bit he's nice he's quiet but nice Classes you can feel like would like you know clean up your house you know it's like oh, let me do the dishes real quick it's like thank you Colossus yeah, really take advantage of that guy yeah um, um yeah it's a fun issue yeah at the very end it's revealed that uh, Magneto has somehow shown up taken out Mesmero and is and is about to enact his revenge on the X Men yeah so yeah and that's the, how the issue ends um it it, it is really fun uh, this this circus issue. Um, it did feel to me like a sort of Jack Kirby out of nowhere. They're in a circus, but you're right. Guess, they they manage the th- seams a little better. Give me this issue over the two times where they fought themselves or the time mm-hmm. where they fought the demons from Professor X's dreamscape or whatever. Yeah. Or fighting the danger room. Uh, yeah, that's true. Or, that's true. It's way or, more fun. Or even the first time they faced Magneto, this is better. Or the leprechaun fight, this is better. Oh, right, the leprechaun like, fight, yeah. Like, this is better than most everything, except for maybe this thing in space that had just sort of happened. Yeah. Speaking of space. That's right. Next Magneto's issue. Here. And Magneto's powers, uh, I had not read his older stories, but they seem like they've been amped up anyway. Without having read any previous Magneto stories. I think Magneto's magnetism is one of those things where they just kind of let him do 
almost anything that they need him to do. Like he could fly, make force fields, mess with your mind. There's a thing he does to Phoenix in the, the next two issues that just seems, I don't know how they justify it. <laughs> like calling it magnetism is just sort of nuts. He's taken their uh, circus wagon into orbit. He's lifted it into space. So somehow there is oxygen, gravity, mm -hmm. and uh, air pressure inside a wooden wagon Yes. Because of magnetism. Yes. But the way they find that is like Magneto shows up, they're in the circus wagon, and they send Nightcrawler to teleport outside to sort of scout and see like yeah. what Magneto has planned. And Nightcrawler finds himself in space clinging to the outside of a wagon, um, which is that's that's what I meant by Byrne and Claremont seem to be sort of like behaving in an unsupervised fashion in a good way, like just kind of doing yeah. insane moves that are quite fun. It's like, oh, this wooden circus wagon is in space. Yeah, it wouldn't work in the MCU movies. It would seem a little too silly, but I love it, man. It's great. Uh, also, Magneto has a number of enormous high-tech bases throughout right. the world. He's yes. one man. He's he, They go to a base under a volcano. Later on in the next issue, he goes to his asteroid base. They yes. refer to other bases that he has. yes. yes. Uh, he's one of the many Marvel superheroes who should quit being a supervillain and just be a CEO. Like they run an operation that requires massive funds and organizing. Like who's working for Magneto? Who built, who dug the base in Antarctica? What yeah. team was contracted to tunnel out a cavern If and is keeping their trap shut? Magneto would make Amazon look like a fly-by-night organization. Yeah. It's like, why are you not trying hard, Jeff Bezos? Yeah, Elon Musk, I like that you've taken five years to build a rocket ship that won't explode. I got a base on the back of an asteroid that nobody even knows about. And this is 1980. We got, got young Steve Jobs, who's on Earth bragging about the Apple II. Magneto's got an underground uh, Antarctic base. Cell phones are so stupid compared to what Magneto would be capable of. <laughs> Starting from here, adding you know, 10, 20 years of technology on top of this, yeah. we'd all be living under volcanoes. That Yeah, which is the height of technology. <laughs> That's it. Oh, man, I wish we could live under a volcano. That would take care of my water problems. The magma? Um, yeah. yeah, you just have magma leaks, which would be so cool. That would be um, so cool. So Magneto uses his magnet powers to lower the wooden wagon safely from space into <laughs> under a live volcano in Antarctica. No problem there. Yep. And then we have a fight in a volcano base, which is, hey, that's some James Bond style stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, the X-Men get taken down uh, easily. This is the second time they fought Magneto. They fought him a while ago. Uh, they are take, get taken down fast and hard. And um, even Phoenix, who gives a little bit of a challenge, uh, doesn't quite can't do it. So uh, the net and that, that's basically the whole that's the whole issue. Yeah. And then 113 uh, is well, so fun. Yeah, he he, he ties the, he puts him up like he hooks him up to some machines and, and has like a robot nanny, a robot nanny take care of them and wires them to be babies. So yeah, there's some story that happened before the new X-Men started. So we haven't read it where Magneto was trapped in the body of a baby mm -hmm. for a while. And yeah. then like, one of the other, I forget who, Eric the Red or somebody like, or one of the Imperial Guard or something, yeah, yeah. you know, grew the Magneto baby into full-grown Magneto, thus freeing him from his baby prison. Yeah, yeah. That happens. Yeah, so he is real mad about having been trapped in the body of a baby. So his <laughs> revenge is, now that he's got the new X-Men, he has them all in a bunch of like, you know, metal shackles. Pretty standard fare, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> what do you call it? Like bindings. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like big, big metal, like shackles cuffs. or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, which I see all the time. Like heroes are always like being bound up in like these big metal shackles. Yeah, and they've got like helmets uh, on their head to stop their psychic powers theoretically, but also to turn them into babies. <laughs> so he's turned them all. Their babies are like, th their bodies have the power of a six-month-old baby. So they yeah. can babble like babies. They have the physical control of a baby, but mm -hmm. their minds are still fully adult. So they can experience 
what he experienced. Yeah, and, but and that's crazy. But the best is the robot nanny. He's got a he's got a robot dressed in a French made outfit. Yeah, yeah. Who comes in and just feeds them twice a day in a humiliating fashion? It is the <laughs> funniest punishment I've maybe really ever funny. seen in comics. It is very funny. I love this issue. I don't care. It's really funny. Um, Professor I don't know X why. is on a vacation with Lalandra. His like third or fourth vacation in the last two years. It, it, there's so many vacations in this short run of the book. The X Men and Professor X. I mean, they don't have jobs, I guess, technically. So why not vacation all the time? But oh my goodness! Um, any so, excuse, any excuse to rent a boat to, and head out into the bay. So we have the robot nanny is coming in and feeding them in a humiliating way. The X Men are all trapped; their bodies are babies. However, yeah, there's a loophole, which is six month old Storm yeah. was already a thief. I can't somehow. I, I don't buy it. The flash, to, they, they show a flashback you, to her learning how to be a thief. She don't look six months old in that flashback. She looks like six years old. She is, well, yeah, she's like walking and talking. I don't know, in six months, she seems very <laughs> capable. But yeah, so at six months, <laughs> despite being a six-month-year-old. She was being taught to pick locks. With her mouth. I, I think I've told you I, I, I learned how to pick a lock once. Uh, and it's oh, yeah. Really hard. I did it with like a clear lock so you could see what you were doing. And it was two pieces, to like a, the, uh, something to push the tumbler, something to scrape the lock. Uh, it was really fun and really cool. Uh, and I can see if I practiced that a lot, how you could get better at something like that. I can't imagine through years of practice ever being able to do it with my mouth, let yeah, alone but- doing it with my mouth when I'm being turned into a baby. <laughs> That'd be you don't too think much. Six, you don't think six-month-old you could have learned how to pick a lock with one, no, don't with think one so. implement in your mouth? I do not think so. Especially like a high-tech uh, uh, magneto level. Well, that, that's uh, kind of what I mean about these issues are kind of fun. Like, you know, you hear about Claremont. Like, I've heard about Claremont and Byrne for decades as being like the pinnacle of X-Men stories. And it is living up to it. It's really fun. I'm loving it. But I kind of expected, like when I read Neil Gaiman's Sandman, those stories seem sort of like carefully crafted and like mm-hmm. thought through and like each each issue of Sandman is kind of like a brilliant short story, in my opinion, where it like pays off well and is like, some, you know, emotionally linked to the physical action. But these X-Men issues are like you're trapped in a six month baby body. There's a robot nanny and Storm's going to pick a lock with her mouth. I still put this Magneto arc, my second favorite thing in the entire thing we've read so far. Yeah. Um, uh, so Storm breaks him out. Yeah, then, uh, Magneto comes back. Magneto sees, like, I don't know, on his uh, Apple Watch, he finds out that there's some sort of weird disruption in his volcano base. Yeah. So he comes back to check it out, and uh, Storm has freed everybody, and they attack. And this time they attack as a team under Scott's leadership as a team, and they take down Magneto. Not easily, but decisively. The Magneto flees. The volcano yeah. kind of erupts and leaks into the base. Uh, so whatever contractors they hired to build this base didn't do a good job against the magma. And uh, there's a cliffhanger. The X-Men are sort of stranded in the snow. We only see Beast and Phoenix. Yeah, we see like the Phoenix Phoenix uh, uh, burst out of this base. And then uh, the Phoenix is standing in there with just Beast. And she collapses into the Beast's arms. And he collapses uh, uh, 100 yards later, it says, in the snow. And then it says, to be continued, question mark. So this might be the last issue. This could be the end of the X-Men. Uh, I think this is really fun. I'm really happy that we're in the burn issues. Yeah, burn just seems like reckless in a, or the burn Claremont team. I'm kind of attributing it to yeah. burn, but they seem just like, heck, you know, they, they seem like, screw it. We'll just do whatever we want from screw issue to issue. And, oh, yeah. Let's go back in time and make that, that that's been the title of our podcast the whole time. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Yeah. It's All been right. something else. But as of this moment, let's go back in time and make it that it's always been true. Um, yeah. And this issue also, he got co-creator. Like it wasn't like drawn by John Byrne. It was by Chris Claremont and They're John both Byrne. co-writers and co-artists, yeah. I guess. I mean, Byrne is an opinionated person uh, and he's good. Uh, so I think he is exerting his will with Claremont and they're w- literally working together versus sort of. It, it also, I think, is the third generation of Marvel creators really, this is representative of like 
lots of the creators were just like breaking the rules. You got yeah. Frank Miller, you got Walt Simonson, even got Louis Simonson with Power Pack. Just like people are taking big swings uh, um, where it, that that maybe wasn't as true in the 70s. They were still yeah, sort of stay, staying true to the Lee Kirby vision. And now they're kind of beginning to break the uh, boundaries a little bit. Yeah, Roger Stern on Spider-Man and Avengers. Like we, We're yeah. getting some real good stuff here. All right, well, let's take a break and we'll come back and read some email. Let's do it. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. All right. Uh, so now, Will, we're going to go over some emails. How would somebody email us if they also wanted to do that? Our email is screwitcomics at gmail. We also have a Twitter account, Screw It Comics, and an Instagram account, Screw It Comics. So uh, check us out, please. You got that correct. Good job. Woo. Uh, okay, so we've got, uh, we've still got like 20 emails. Um, so I'm going back to June 4th with this one from a frequent emailer, Robert Christ. Uh, speaking of comics, oh, he, first of all, he calls us dorks. Well, Fair. hey, dorks. Uh, spe- speaking of comics, I had an idea. Uh, I want to get a collection of sweet comics. Uh, so he asked about favorite covers. We talked about that a little bit, but then he mentions, uh, you mentioned really quickly Spidey was dating Black Cat, and I think you said that that was strange. I don't remember what we said about it. I think you said it uh, kind of came out of nowhere, like they met and they were instantly dating. Yes, that definitely was strange. It uh, it made me think what happened first, Spidey dating Black Cat or Batman dating Catwoman? Question mark. I don't think Batman dated Catwoman at that point. I think like they had a flirtation, right? But I don't know if they ever dated uh, in the eight, by the 80s. They've dated sure. since then. Uh, sure. I have no idea for sure, but that's my belief. Uh, what power couple would you think Spidey could pair with? Captain Marvel, Wasp, Shuri? So what female like superhero would Spidey pair with, Will? How about Silver Sable? There you go. Uh, it's in his universe. Yeah, and it's um she's a bad guy, but um but she's powerful and kind of doesn't take his crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has moments where she's good and moments where she's bad, so it's kind of interesting. I generally don't like superheroes dating other superheroes unless it's like the Fantastic Four, I guess, or like the exception that i uh, about wonder for? woman you into that you into that power cut? i hate that i don't like that at all oh wow you hate that yeah it just feels i don't know i, I don't love it when it's like oh you're both the, the two most powerful characters they should date mm-hmm. it's like why mm-hmm. what do they have in common beyond like their powers it just seem it seems silly to me superman's a lois lane lady through and through and, and wonder woman is not cut from that same cloth at all mm-hmm. 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 um there's a brief period where spider-man dated mockingbird Okay. Uh, he was like an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he was like sleeping on her couch because he didn't have his own place. It's very funny. <laughs> He's like the layabout boyfriend. She's like, get a job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, I thought a very funny take on him. Uh, uh, Silver Sable is an interesting choice. If he had to date a, a female superhero, uh, uh, what about like the, the female Nova Herald that used to date Johnny? Dating Johnny's ex would be interesting, I think. Yeah. Is her name Nova? Frankie name was Ray. Nova. Frankie, Frankie Ray, Ray. was her uh, civilian name. That's who I'm thinking of. Frankie Ray. How about um, She-Hulk? I'm just thinking of somebody who's funny. Like uh, She-Hulk and Spider-Man's banter would be good. It would be. That'd be a weird pairing. It's hard to picture that. For some reason, I always picture him with someone more serious. Somebody that connects to his little science side? Yeah, he's so insecure in my mind that he feels like he has to be the funny one. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But yeah, he should date somebody funny. Okay, I'm going to stick by Silver Sable. Silver Sable and Frankie Ray. Those are our picks. Those are our answers. We, I think I mentioned this, but I didn't read it. Uh, we have a, a, tw- a tweet from Burn Appetite or Appetite who mentioned that uh, Will had mentioned, he, uh, Will said, look, we aren't going to Canada. And this uh, tweet says, or are we? Find out in anywhere between two and seven weeks and screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. And it, we can see the writing on the wall this uh, episode, right? With Weapon Alpha showing up. Yeah. And just Burn taking over and being Canada obsessed. Uh, Steve Dickerson emailed us. I love the podcast. It reminds me of the way my brother and I can talk about The Simpsons. 
I know the punchlines, but I'm, I'm an unabashed Superman fan. I'm curious which, if any Superman comics you've read, any favorites? A few of mine are All-Star Superman, Superman Smashes the Clan, and Superman Adventures 27 by Mark Millar. Also, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen by Fraction and Lieber is up there with Superior Foes of Spider-Man. is one of the funniest superhero comics ever. Thanks again. Always enjoy the show, Steve. Uh, we're not a big, I'm not a big Superman guy the way like our friend Michael Hartney is. Michael Hartney yeah. is a Superman obsessed person. But, uh, you know, my, the, my favorite Superman story is also just one of my favorite superhero comic stories. And really one of my favorite story stories is What Do You Get the Man Who Has Everything by uh, Alan Moore. We've mentioned that several times in this podcast. Yeah. So that's probably my, I, again, I have not read a ton of Superman, but that is like one of my favorite comics issues. I mean, the ones uh, Steve mentioned are all great. All-Star Superman is great. You've read that, yeah, right? I've well, read All-Star Superman and I do love that. Yes. Uh, Superman Smashes the Clan just recently came out is really good. Uh, Superman Adventures 27. Mark Millar had this run as Superman Adventures. That's the Superman comic based on the cartoon. So it's like all ages. And Mark Millar is known for like his in-your-face, uh, audacious... Right, he's the Kingsman guy, right? Yeah. Like, like crazy this, violence, like, just so insane that it's like... Yeah. You just see, like, 25 heads get exploded or something. And, and sex and violence and yeah. just sort of, like... Not sort of my cup of tea, but his run in Superman Adventures is real good. Yeah. Real good. It shows this guy could write some really fun all-ages comics when he wants to. Didn't Mark Millar do the parody of Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Nat Returns? That's somebody else. Okay, okay. It's a very similar name, and I can't quite place it, but it's not Mark Millar. Okay. Didn't, Uh, you know, the Superman and the Klan, I remember reading some story that, like, in the 40s, the mm -hmm. Superman radio show. This is based on that. Had Superman, Superman, like, infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. And some writer for the radio show had inside knowledge of how the Klan worked, and it spooked the real Klan with, like, how this radio show had, like, inside info, and you could make the argument actually did some damage against it or something like that. Yeah, this comic, Superman Smashes a Klan, is based on the famous radio serial. Ah. Um, it's really good. It's really, it's really well written. It's also fun because it's written it with a Superman who can't fly. It's written like with that era's Superman. It's, it's a really could fun only story. Jump. He like runs across power lines a lot in this comic. Yeah. Like that's how he gets around. <laughs> Very silly. Uh, another great Superman comic that is almost Superman is uh, Superman's Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek and Stuart Immerman. Uh, it's about a guy like on our earth, basically named Clark Kent Mm. Like his parents named him Clark Kent in a world where Superman exists as a comic book character. Yeah. And he sort of is a Superman fan, but also like gets made fun of for having that name. It sort of looks a little bit like Clark Kent. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he has the powers of Superman. Love it. And it's real, 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 real good. So if you haven't read that one, it's good. Superman for all seasons is also beautiful. It's by drawn by Tim Sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's another good one. But uh, Secret Identity is probably I'm also my partial pick. to the wacky 70s one where it's like, you know, he's got like a supercar that you he, that the car itself has like telepathic vision and microscopic vision and stuff like that. I'm, I kind of did. Red and blue Superman. I like all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. All that stuff's great. Uh, we also got an email from James Brian Parker, who timing wise perfectly asks us to cover All-Star Superman on our show. It's a great. It's a Grant Morrison Frank quietly right yes that's right yeah uh i mean it's a really fun series really kind of like it'd be mind-bending and fun yeah it'd be fun to cover the the parasite issue is just a blast Um, so funny bernie lockard emails us oh we rejected his idea for your enforcers tv show Mm -hmm. and he's mad about it it seems like (laughs) or he's hurt yeah (laughs) makes sense uh i've really enjoyed the podcast so far you guys have introduced me to so many great stories that I've always been wanting to read but never have. Uh, I have bought around 30 omnibuses and I'm slowly going through them. Currently reading a book called Sandman. I hear that Neil Gaiman guy has some good ideas. Keep up the good work, you guys. Are the best comic book, you guys are the best comic book podcast hosted by two brothers who are also comedians. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. High praise. <laughs> High praise. We made the cut. If Pat and uh, Matt Oswald start hosting a comic book podcast, then we'll be in trouble. But until then, uh, this is this is funny. Uh, this is uh, the subject of this email is dialogue plus punching equals humor. Uh, and this is from Mark D. In your recent Mutants and Mailbag episode, Will, you said how you like the efficient way that 70s Marvel combined dialogue with action. 
You noted how during a battle scene, Claremont would have an X-Men begin a sentence in one panel and finish at the next panel punctuated with a punch or a force blast. Right. By coincidence, the day after listening to your episode, I spotted a very silly example of this in Defenders number 47, released in May 1977, scripted by John Warner. Uh, In the issue, Moon Knight, then a very new character in the Marvel Universe, is making his first appearance in the series. In the scene, he is sneaking up on Nick Fury and a squad of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Uh, this, This pays off well. Uh, you you boys made one serious mistake. You stumbled into my territory, Moon Knight thinks to himself, before adding as he pounces, you're going to answer to Moon Knight. The thing is, all of Moon Knight's dialogue is presented in thought balloons until the last phrase when he shouts, Moon Knight, as he jumps into the fray. <laughs> so all that Nick Fury hears of this soliloquy is this completely unknown costume character conveniently introducing himself by name as he surprises them to begin the fight. Can you imagine if Batman did this every time he bounced into action? One minute you're stealing a purse from an old lady, and the next minute you hear a voice shout, Batman! <laughs> <laughs> you feel his boots at your back. It's kind of fun. It's very funny. It was probably one of these things where it was all supposed to be spoken, and he's like, oh, he's sneaking up. He should be thinking it. I'm not changing the dialogue or something, but it's, <laughs> those sort of things are very weird when you think about the, yeah. part, the parts they say out loud and the parts they don't. But that is such a funny example. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mark, for yeah. sharing that. Paul Fung emails us. Mm-hmm. On your recent Mutants and Mailbags app, you talk about how quickly Storm and Jean seem to become best friends. Uh, It called to mind an issue of Classic X-Men. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Classic X-Men, but I highly recommend it. It's a reprint series from the mid-80s, but rather than being just straight reprints, they include a ton of new material, mostly written by Claremont. As well as minor changes to the existing issues, there are are new pages and whole new stories set during the period of the original run including the stuff we're covering on the podcast. Well, sometimes this new stuff is filled out, filling out the original story, but they're often standalone tales. These new stories are really interesting. They have beautiful art, mainly by John Bolton, and feel almost indie-like. There's a range of styles and genres featuring the X-Men characters in unusual ways. You get fun character pieces, weird Twilight Zone-esque short stories, and fun comedy bits. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because in only the second issue of Classic X-Men, Set around the time of issue 95, there's a story focusing on Storm and Jean's friendship called First Friends. Hmm. I guess in Claremont's head, there was a whole rich friendship between the two, and this was his chance to get it on paper. He always seems to be a fan of writing friendships between women, and his stories were probably the only mainstream comic at the time to pass the Bechdel test. Uh, Long story short, Kevin is wrong. Ouch. This friendship is totally realistic and well-developed, even if we didn't know for several years. <laughs> Cheers, Paul. Uh, you became uh, wrong. Yes, I got retconned into being wrong. <laughs> That's fair. I'll be wrong on that. Yeah, we're idiots all the time. We've got time for more? What, where are we doing? Yeah, let's do it. Dean Spencer uh, emails us. Hello, you two ever-loving panty-waist milk sops. Mm-hmm. I'm currently rereading Spider-Man by Ditko and Lee and re-listening to your first season. It's great content in both regards. Your enthusiasm has never been higher during the show, it sounds and feels like. Your antagonism against the forced-upon segments that the broadcaster requested you do is hilarious. I'd forgotten how great this content is. I'm very happy you're changing up your content quickly and doing shorter bursts. I enjoyed the FF series, but it did feel like it was close to breaking you. (laughs) But maybe bring back the final segment of how the story reminds you of something from earlier on in your lives. He's right. If we had, if we spent time and thought about it, that's a good segment. That's a good segment. I forgot we used to do that segment joke. Uh, uh, I have a question. Do you think we would have liked the X-Men if we'd read it at the, you know, when we were, when we were kids, you know, digging into Spidey and FF and all that stuff? <clears throat> I don't think I would have enjoyed these X-Men because I think I'd be too young, right? It's what like are we talking about here? This is 77? Well, first of all, I'm way too young, right? What are we, what, what year are we in? I don't know. Yeah, it's like the late 70s. So I'm like five. This it's too wordy. Right, right. Um, well, this is I, before this is before we started reading comics anyway. Yeah, I mean, we I did try reading comics the X Men a few times and it didn't. It never quite sucked me in. It I would like enjoy a few issues here and there. And I think it's such a lame excuse, but I think it just felt too much, too dense, just too much information. Yeah, but I wasn't reading any teams. I wasn't reading Avengers. FF I was, but FF barely is a team. The team books I think scared me off as a kid. 
Okay, interesting. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of overwhelming. And certainly X-Men, you always felt like left one would feel left out reading it and stuff like that. Yeah, because I never, I never tried the Avengers. I never tried X-Men or Defenders or Champions or any of those things. Yeah. Uh, until Justice League, I don't think I read a team of superheroes that wasn't also a family. Uh, what do you think? Okay. Do you think you would have enjoyed it? I think you would have. I think I would have. Um, I was older. You know, I, we start, I was 12 or 13 when we got into them. I think that's the perfect age. I just was, I don't know. I don't know. Just like the inertia of picking up a whole other branch of continuity put me off. I mean, we I did read all the New Mutants. and Actually, I, I, st- I did start reading the X-Men. It was just a couple of years later. I read, I read a, a good amount of the New Mutants. Uh, uh, definitely for a stretch, I read it pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, and Excalibur, I read. By then, you were full in. Yeah, I was all the way in. A friend of the show, Casey Bruce, emailed us. Danger um, Room Comics from Olympia, Washington. That's right. Nice memory, Will. You didn't forget him yet. Who? Uh, <laughs> he asked, what are you guys' thoughts on all the artist changes on Superior Spider-Man? So we've been covering Superior Spider-Man in our main season, and we've had a couple artists. Ryan Stegman is sort of the main artist, but we've had uh, Giuseppe. We've had uh, Humberto. Um, there's probably been other ones. So there's been a few different artists. Uh, I know that's always a thing that happens in Marvel and DC, but it's become more common in recent years with the big two, often publishing popular titles more than once a month. Maybe I've gotten spoiled with creator-owned series like Invincible, but for me, this prevents a story like Superior Spider-Man from reaching full-on classic status. Curious to get your thoughts. He's probably right. Like, it would be better if it was one artist the whole time and they could really put their stamp on it and feel a bit more ownership over it. I mean, it must be just slightly demoralizing to have part of the story done without you. You know, Superior Spider-Man is so good that I think it largely transcends that problem. But sure, in some alternate universe where one artist got to do every single issue, there's probably there's probably some benefits there. I think for a cop-out non-answer. Yeah, I guess it's, it's hard for me to think of runs in mainstream comics, like long runs, like 30 issues, which is what Superior Spider-Man is. With one artist, there's going to be fill-in artists here and there. It's the question of how much of that and the quality of those fill-in artists, right? Uh, if you, if if these guys, I think most, if not all, the artists during this run of Superior Spider-Man are great. Uh, but if like one was sort of mediocre, it would I think hurt the whole run if it was just sort of like oh this this arc is not drawn that well. Um, but like the things that really stand out are the shorter bursts. Like you know, Born Again is great, but it's six issues. Right. You know, uh, if David Masicelli did a if David Mazzucchelli and Frank Miller did a 30-issue run, but in between it, John Romita Jr. did the fill-ins, I think it'd still be great. So I, I don't know. I asked Casey this follow-up question because I think it's I I because uh, I don't have a good answer to this. Um, and I asked him. Wait, you're conversing with our email writers uh, about me. Casey messaged me on Instagram about this. So yes. Wow, what a name drop. Uh, I said, okay, uh, as a shop owner, because he owns a comic shop. Would you rather have a new issue of Invincible or whatever hot title or prefer uh, every month or prefer to have the same team but miss some months? So like the idea that like, yeah, uh, you don't have you don't have an issue of Invincible to sell this month because they're taking too long. Yeah, like you're making would you rather have mouth is. Would you rather have a fill in by a different artist or would you rather have, you know, the main mm-hmm. artist do it and just come out next month? What he saying? And, and I didn't know the answer to this. I really didn't. And he said, good question. I prefer less regular issues with the same creative team. I might feel different if I'd been running a shop 25 years ago when the book format was less popular. I haven't seen a lot of sales suffer from fill-in artists, but we do hear complaints from customers. A recent run of Astro City is a good example. Uh, the recent run of Astro City had some fill-in artists. Well, other artists were fine, but they just weren't Brent Anderson. Given that it's a series a lot of readers have followed for years and has never maintain the most regular schedule. The general consensus was people reacted negatively to the fill-in issues. Hand-selling a book to a potential buyer is easier when the art is consistent. If you're showing somebody something that looks confusing or lacks cohesion, it could be a strike against it. The editors focus so much on asking writers to write for the trade, it would be nice to see them work with creators' schedules enough to where they could draw for the trade just as easily. Uh, and then he kind of goes on about something else, but that's, so that's his answer. He thinks, yeah, I guess, you know, tr- we think in trade paperbacks so much these days yeah. that you just want that trade to be coherent. And I think he's right. Uh, it definitely was a thing at one point. I remember reading articles about very popular comics being delayed 
and comic shops being like, oh, now I don't have an issue of, I'm going to use Spider-Man as an example. We don't have Spider-Man this month. That's our biggest seller. We depend on that income. But I think now more and more shops depend on trade income yeah. than single issue tra- income. So it's different. So like quality trades, like Watchmen is more important than yeah. the recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Probably toys are a bigger factor too. Like they need their screw. We're just going to talk about comics host set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those action figures are, but we should get a bigger cut of those. I really feel like, I guess they're too off model. I negotiated though. the deal and I said, we need 0% of the money. They're very off model. Mm-hmm. You're a cow. Yep. And you are phone bone. Yeah, phone bone. It feels like they're just using some old bone action figures <laughs> they had laying around. Yours looks like an old far side uh, PVC set. Yeah, but different sizes. Cow and your phone bone. I my character is like twice as big and has got movable things. Yours is like stretchy limbs. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing up holding a champagne glass and wearing a pearl necklace as a cow. Yeah, yeah. the box has got a photo of us on it. It's a very confusing set. Yeah. Big seller, big seller. Yep. I think let's wrap there, Will. All right, so um, that's Mutants and Mailbag. We're going to do this again in two episodes. But uh, our very next episode will be some more superior Spider-Man. And I forget what issues we're doing, but look, follow our Instagram to, to stay up on top of it. Yeah, that. it's like issue 11 through 16 or something like that. Something like that, yeah. So um, we, uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Screw it, screw it. Just about comics. One Million Musicals presents This is the story of Nellie, who nobody knew A brand new musical full of magic and adventure I'm gonna cross the purple dragon sea And find somewhere a home for me Featuring 15 original songs and a stellar cast from across Broadway, film, and television The Ballad of Nellie, who nobody knew. Now available wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.